Hello and welcome to another Imagining Freedom podcast. This morning, I received a letter from our First Minister in Scotland, Nicola Sturgeon. I was worried at first, as I thought she might be telling us about further restrictions. But it was more of a pep talk saying that we are in it together and we'll get through it together. Nicola Sturgeon may be totally sincere about this, but I see this whole lockdown as being based on propaganda of the worst kind. The campaigning group Big Brother Watch doesn't go that far, but it has just produced a very hard-hitting report called the Emergency Powers and Civil Liberties Report. Silke Carlo, the director of Big Brother Watch, said... Our loss of liberty must not endure a moment longer than it's absolutely necessary. It's not acceptable for the government to treat the exit strategy like a state secret. That's why we're calling on the government to publish its exit strategy now. Our review reveals staggering incompetence in police use of draconian emergency powers. If we are complacent, the conditions of crisis could see a surveillance state in the UK of a scale never seen before. The Big Brother Watch report contains a very important reminder that despite the First Minister's letter that we all received this morning, with its chummy and reassuring tone, it's only a few weeks ago that Scotland became the first country in the world to place restrictions on its Freedom of Information Act in response to the coronavirus crisis. The Big Brother Watch report says... It is concerning that emergency legislation has been used to amend primary legislation that provides such a core democratic function. The report also speaks out strongly against censorship. It says, We welcome the promotion of health information at this critical time. However, the the important promotion of reliable scientific information does not necessitate the censorship of views that are scientifically unproven. This is particularly relevant in a pandemic where scientific discovery is rapidly developing. Supplanting critical literacy with censorship ultimately harms a public forum, trust in authorities and as such can harm public health. I would like to look at this report in more detail at a later date because the group makes some very important legal points and the level of censorship that has been occurring recently has been quite astonishing. There was another example today, as a video showing two scientists presenting their research findings was deleted from YouTube. What kind of scientific research merits this kind of censorship? Could it have been research saying that a particular race is related to wombats? Or that drinking nutmeg juice can cure a deadly disease? No, it was a press conference of two doctors in California presenting the results of their testing programme for COVID-19. But those results were clearly not what the Googleverse wanted us to believe. So, they, how many deaths do they have? 19,410 out of 19 million people, which is a 0.1% chance of dying from COVID in the state of New York. And they have a 92% recovery rate. If you are indeed diagnosed with COVID-19, 92% of you will recover. So, we're seeing millions of cases, small amount of death. YouTube didn't give its reasons for removing the video, but its actions strongly suggest that the censorship is not designed to protect the public from dangerous medical advice, but rather it's part of a strategy to control the narrative and only to include videos about scientific research that back up the establishment line. 
I've said all along in these podcasts that I'm going along with this lockdown because I don't want to assume that I'm right and everyone else is wrong. I suspected from the start that the lockdown could be a way of trying to control us and remove our rights and freedoms. But part of me always thought that maybe there were some valid reasons for it. When I learned that the reason for the lockdown was to flatten the curve so that the hospitals wouldn't be overwhelmed, I accepted it. I was sceptical, but I wanted to be open-minded. I'm now convinced that the way this outbreak is being handled is a power grab. The mainstream media is shroud-waving. It is shamelessly using tragic deaths to traumatise people and herd us like sheep into the kind of brave new world that Aldous Huxley wrote about. The reason that people are being chastised for playing golf, even in a situation where they won't come in within metres of another human being or for sunbathing alone on a beach, is not just because the authorities are trying to make things miserable for us. It's because a situation is being built up where none of us will be able to do the things we enjoy unless we've had the coronavirus vaccine. And it probably won't be enough to have it just once. We'll probably be expected to have it regularly if we want to be allowed into schools, universities supermarkets, exercise classes, theme parks, climbing centres or even onto the mountains. I felt depressed right from the start of this crisis because I could see where it was going. I'm passionate about climbing and hill walking. But I realised just from the panicked way people were talking, desperate to have a vaccine, that I probably wouldn't be welcome at climbing centres in the future because I won't be taking the vaccine. I'm not against vaccination generally. I always get vaccinated if I'm going to a country that might have typhoid or cholera. But I've never chosen to have the flu vaccine and I wouldn't choose to get vaccinated for coronavirus. In fact, the way that vaccination is increasingly being pushed on us, for example in the UK coronavirus bill, and with all the censorship around the issue, makes me more wary of vaccines in general. I get the impression that we are being nudged in the direction of immunity passports. Just before the lockdown started, Scottish Mountain Rescue made a couple of serious public posts advising people to stay away from the mountains because even if they went to isolated areas, if they were to have an accident and needed to call Mountain Rescue, they might unwittingly pass on the virus to the rescuers. This felt very grim at the time, but it seemed completely understandable. Most reasonable people would be horrified at the idea that they might potentially put a rescuer's life at risk just so they can have a wee bit of enjoyment at a time when everyone else is having to cooperate with the, the lockdown. So like most people I know, I stopped going to the local hills after reading this advice. A couple of weeks ago, I took a drive past a well-known local beauty spot known as Queen's View. I had no intention of climbing up the wee hill there, which I've climbed many times before. It's a gentle climb of about 150 metres to get to the top. I didn't climb it because you get a beautiful view of the mountains even from the car park. So I just parked the car, didn't get out, looked at the view for a few minutes and then drove away. But I did notice that the car park was quite full and there were people walking up the hill. The next time I drove past that car park, a barrier had been put across the entrance to it. I wasn't intending to stop that day anyway. But it really annoys me that the authorities have tried to stop people taking exercise on just a small local hill. Such a small pleasure, the kind of thing that far from putting lives at risk would probably help build up people's immune systems and make them more resistant to diseases like coronavirus. I was thinking that if the coronavirus crisis is prolonged, maybe mountain rescue duties could be carried out by people who are not worried about con contracting the disease and not living with elderly relatives or people with compromised immune systems. 
I would certainly volunteer. I've been training to be a mountain leader, although I know training for mountain rescue is a very lengthy process. But realistically, I know this isn't going to happen. I never saw mountaineering or volunteering for mountain rescue as particularly low-risk pursuits, but this is probably an indication of the level of terror that people have of this disease. And I personally think that terror is being exploited. It will be used to ensure that even once the COVID-19 panic is over, if it ever is, no one gets to enjoy the mountains without an immunity certificate. This whole experience is making me think a lot about risk and fear of risk. We've become such a fearful society to the extent that we're literally afraid to go out of our own front doors. We're afraid of each other. I think this fear is leading to irrationalities. It's leading us into a much, much more dangerous situation that most people even realise. This really isn't about the disease. It's propaganda designed to nudge people into getting the vaccine once it's developed. Because you won't be able to do anything that you would normally do until you have your vaccine or immunity passport. You won't even be able to sit on a beach on a sunny day or go for a walk on a local hill, even though thousands of people are still allowed to fly into the UK without even having to have a test to find out if they are carrying the disease. This appeared on the BBC News website yesterday. On the 15th of April, the Health Secretary, Matt Hancock, said that 15,000 people were still flying into the UK every day. These travellers were not tested at airports, he explained, because there was little scientific evidence that it would halt the spread of COVID-19 in the UK. What's more, testing people who are not showing symptoms often failed to identify those with the virus. The number of flights arriving at the UK has dropped dramatically during lockdown. Airlines said that nearly all of those on flights into the UK tend to be British people coming home or else travellers changing planes en route to another destination. It just doesn't make sense. If you've enjoyed listening to my podcast, please subscribe so that you don't miss future episodes. If you want to make a comment, download a transcript or view the show notes, go to imaginingfreedom.co.uk. Thanks for listening.